You're listening to EE Times On Air, and this is the weekly briefing for the week ending December 2nd, 2022. I'm Taylor Marvin, in for Eric Singer. Today's podcast is sponsored by Power Integrations, the leader in high-voltage integrated circuits for energy-efficient power conversion. Our guest today is Doug Bailey, VP of Marketing and Applications Engineering for Power Integrations. We're here today to discuss a fascinating topic, your old beer fridge, and how it's your home's power parasite. But first, let's look at the podcast episodes EE Times On Air released this week. Power Up, hosted by Maurizio DiPaolo Emilio, features interviews with the world's leading power electronics experts to explain how technology is evolving and what those changes mean for every aspect of the industry. In this latest episode, Maurizio talks to Bell Lazar, Chief Executive Officer of VPC Space, to discuss the importance of GAN for the space industry. Unlike silicon, whereby specific manufacturing processes and packaging are required to insulate semiconductors from the effects of radiation, GAN devices are largely resistant to the issues caused by space radiation due to their physical characteristics and structure. GAN power devices should be the ideal choice for power conversion applications in space because they are more robust than hard-rod MOSFETs when exposed to various forms of radiation. The electrical and thermal performance of GAN has also demonstrated superior operation in a space environment. In this podcast with Bella Zar, Chief Executive Officer of EPC Space, we will analyze the importance of GAN for the space. Embedded Edge with Nitin is a podcast hosted by Nitin Dahad, who talks to engineers and executives in the embedded systems design and development industry to gain insights into the embedded systems, technologies, and products featured on Embedded.com. In this episode, Nitin talks to global foundries on how it's not all about Moore's Law scaling, embedded boards, and EDA 2.0. Moore's Law was a wonderful instrument, a wonderful metronome for the entire industry while everyone was pursuing scaling of uh, technologies. But so much of the foundry market is not related to Moore's Law scaling, not related to single-digit nanometer technologies, that it becomes a very important consideration to have long-term investments for all of the technologies and all the end-market applications that don't benefit from Moore's Law. That's something we've recognized and have launched GF Labs as a response to that as, quite frankly, a responsibility to GF, to our customers, and to the industry to make sure that the breadth of the foundry solutions outside of single-digit nanometer technologies have the right solutions, not just through the end of this decade, but for 2030 and beyond. So what does it entail? You know, whether it's in-market applications like 6G. 6G, we know, is going to be very, very high frequencies, more than 100 gigahertz. It's going to require beam-forming technologies with very short-range communication. Understanding that system level guides the kind of research and development. So our next-generation millimeter wave solutions on 22FDX and 12FDX, they need the guidance of understanding what 6G will bring. 6G is not going to be rolling out before the end of the decade. What universities do we work with on looking at circuit designs? What emerging technologies do we need to have to enable that roadmap? That's just one example. From Embedded Edge with Nitin, Matter aims to make smart home devices just work. 
But how do we reach this potential? This is also scary when you have hundreds of devices, hundreds of billions of devices talking to each other. And you really need a language. And you need to think about three things which we care about, which is open standards like Matter, which is very important. They help everyone in the industry to adopt the same protocol, not worrying about licensing, and they're based on open source projects. Interoperability must be built into the silicon so that device manufacturers can scale and consumers can mix and match technologies across the various ecosystems such like as uh, like, like as uh, Amazon or Apple and Google and Samsung and a variety of connected and intelligent devices ranging from logs to lights and beyond. And the security is again hardened and built into the silicon. And this is where matter comes in. And if you take a deeper look at matter, it promises connectivity that just works, interoperability built by design and security which is hardened, and, and I'll talk about the stack in, in, in a minute. But I think what I want to recognize today is how the industry came together to really overcome the challenges. This is not easy, but I'm really proud that we've come there. Find these episodes and more at eetimes.com slash podcasts. Subscribe to the weekly briefing podcast by clicking the subscribe button at the top of today's episode page or searching EE Times on air on all major podcast platforms. And now our interview with Doug Bailey, VP of Marketing and Applications Engineering for Power Integrations. Mr. Bailey joined Power Integrations in 2004 as Vice President of Marketing. Prior to joining PI, Mr. Bailey served marketing and IC design roles at ChipX, LSI Logic, Inmos, and Marconi. Here's Eric Singer with the interview. Everyone does it eventually, the dreaded kitchen remodel. Out go the 1990s tile countertops, the dark oak cabinets and enameled appliances, and in come the modern stainless equipment, the granite, and eye-watering LED illumination. It all goes into the trash except for the fridge. This faithful companion, bedecked in the detritus of family communications and memories, still works after 25 years. Ah, let's keep it. So once it's pulled from its dust bunny nest, the big guy from the demo crew hauls our battered almond friend into the garage where it's plugged in and starts its new life full of beer. But this much appreciated domestic Dorian has a sinister secret. Stay tuned and find out why you should immediately and with malice crush your beer fridge. Doug, I have a fridge in my garage. It's not entirely filled with beer, but let's be honest, it's mostly, mostly full of beer. Right, mostly <laughs> full of beer. So why is it so urgent that I get rid of this thing? Well, for some reason, and I think that's still um, somewhat inexplicable, older fridges seem to last forever. Uh, they were very reliable, uh, very solidly built. Unfortunately, Back in the 80s and 90s, they were allowed to consume up to uh, two megawatt hours a year. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they do. And they, they sit there in your garage cooling your beer. And some garages aren't that cold in the, in the summertime, right? They can get quite toasty in the summertime. And, and, and so they're on a lot. So they might be using more than your, the, the allowed two megawatt hours per year. And I don't know what rates 
you're paying for electricity, but you know my marginal rate here in California is 41 cents a kilowatt hour. So, you know, two megawatt hours is about 800 bucks. That's a lot of money to keep your beer cold. In fact, it probably costs more than the amount of <laughs> the, the beer I drink in a year. So, the, your beer fridge isn't your friend. It may be your trusted family companion for 25 years, <laughs> but it's a energy thieving parasite, and that's why uh, I say crush your beer fridge. So presumably, I need to replace this old fridge with a more efficient, newer model. Talk to us a little bit about why those older fridges are so bad at energy conservation. Uh, Yeah, they use an AC motor. And that would normally be perfectly fine um, because if they're, they're quite efficient. AC motors can be equal as efficient as DC motors, but not when you have a variable speed requirement or you have a variable power requirement. And that's the problem with a refrigerator. When you get a brand new fridge and it's, and it's warm and you plug it in, you need it to pump down relatively quickly. And so the compressor is quite capable of, of cooling the refrigerator down relatively quickly. But then when it's cold, it doesn't need so much power. And so it's sitting there operating in a, in a, a low power state Except that with an AC motor, you can't do variable speed control. And so you, you have to time division multiplex it. And that, that means you turn it on for a little bit and pump it down. Then you turn it off. And then you turn it on for a little bit. And then you turn it off. And that just seems to be, in combination with it not running at full power anyway, uh, very bad for refrigerator efficiency. So the, what the DOE did a few years ago is they worked on this with industry and figured out that using a, a variable speed inverter-driven brushless DC motor was a far better way to power the compressor in the fridge. And that reduces the overall energy consumption down to below uh, 400 kilowatt hours a year. So it's a, a fifth of what was permitted uh, way back when. And so you're spending a fifth of the electricity that you would spend on, uh, on a new fridge than an old one. Uh, in my case, that would be a couple of hundred bucks a year uh, instead of 800. Yeah, it's a massive difference. At Power Integrations, I'd love to hear a little bit about how specifically you all are helping drive efficiency in the more modern refrigerators and appliances. So we do that in a couple of ways. Uh, There's two real uses of energy in appliances in general, and specifically in refrigerators or or appliances that have motor-driven parts to them. Uh, One is the, the motor itself, and the other one is the power supply. And what we find with uh, most appliances, including refrigerators, is they're operating at light load a lot of the time. You may have a 50-watt power supply in the fridge, but you know you only really need the light when the doors open, for example, <laughs> although there may be some arguments about whether the light stays on, who knows? Um, <laughs> so you only really need the light when the doors open, and so you don't need the power for it, and so the power supply is running at light load. And we have some algorithms built into our uh, products. We've had them the years, we call it eco-smart mode. But uh, tiny switch, top switch, you know, the, those older products and the new inner switches all do a fantastic job of remaining efficient in light load. And that means we're not using energy or as much energy just to power the power supply when, when you're not needing a lot of power out of the power supply. And then the other one is the, the motor drive. We took a look at the Russia's DC motor drive architectures. The, the way it's, it's done sometimes is to use uh, discrete components, which tends to take up a lot of space and have a lot of mounting costs. And the other way to do it is to use a, a, an IPM, which might have 
six IGBTs or MOSFETs in one package. And the problem with that solution is it clusters all the heat into a small space. And then the other thing about IPMs is they don't tend to have a lot of diagnostics built into them. And we felt that there was an opportunity to semi-disintegrate the IPM. And we have a, a series of half-bridge products called uh, Bridge Switch, and that is used for motor drives. And those are fantastic because they have not just the high-efficiency MOSFET, although it's actually a FredFET, and more than that, it's a sense Fred FET, if you can get your head around that. So it's a it has a, a mm. fast recovery diode in it, which is really good in, in a motor drive application. You need the, di the diode gets exercised. And so a good diode is important. But it also has sensing built into it so that you don't need a shunt uh, to measure current. And mm. so what we've done is we've taken this fancy sensing Fred FET device and we've coupled it with a high side, low side driver and a bunch of diagnostic logic and, and the sensing logic that we don't need a, um, an op-amp or a shunt to indicate how much current is running through the windings of the motor. And we can just feed that directly back to the microcontroller and avoid the losses in the shunt and the cost of all of this uh, signal conditioning hardware in the winding sense and feedback mechanism. So how efficient are we talking? What, what kind of percentage can we put? Oh, in? these are about 98%, which is huge, right? Right. So in a power conversion process that's less than 100% efficient, where does that energy loss occur? It comes from two fundamental places. It comes from the conduction of during, during on mode of a power supply. If you take a switch mode power supply as the example, when the, the switch is on, You've got uh, resistances in all of the wires and in the uh, in the switch itself, and, and that is going to burn some energy. You know, I squared R losses, and so the the fix for that is to go with a low RDS on switch. Problem with a low RDS on switch is they tend to be more capacitive or high. They have higher gate um, COSS, which is the drain source capacitance, and that's the next source of losses that manifests when you're switching it uh, from off to on. When you're switching it from off to on, what happens when it's off is the capacitance charges up. And when the capacitor charges up, um, that's a stored energy, half um, CV squared. So then you turn the switch on, and all of the energy in that capacitance is immediately dumped through its own internal resistance and burned as heat. So you, it all ends up as heat at the end of the day, but it's caused by these two you know, major two mechanisms, there are others, but th these are the major two mechanisms. And so that's why we, we concentrate on using GAN for most of the new products, mm. because you get uh, a lot, uh, very low RDS on. So you, you minimize your RDS on, but you don't have to pay for it. You don't pay for it in capacitance because the GAN has very low um, drain to source capacitance. So you can go big, which means you, can, uh, you don't burn a lot of um, resistive energy and you don't pay for the, for the switching losses. So mm -hmm. that's why GAN is a, is, you know, works so well for, for so many applications. Yeah, brilliant. And when I imagine going from a, the large scale of a huge appliance like a refrigerator down to, let's say, a, a cell phone charger, is that about capacitance? Is that where we're losing that energy in, in those cases? That's exactly right. If you keep switching... Even if you're not providing energy to the output, if you keep switching, you're going to be burning that vampire load. It's half CV squared F. The CV squared is kind of part of the 
part of the physics, right? Yeah. You, you, once you've got, once you've chosen your switch, you can't do much about that, but you can do something about the F, which is the frequency. So what we do is we modulate the frequency at which we switch in order to uh, reduce the vampire load. The trick with that is to be able to know when the output needs energy. Mm. Because if the output suddenly says, I need energy now, but you're not switching, uh, you have a bit of a problem. So we've got what we call FluxLink, which is this magneto-inductive couple built into our package, and that has extremely fast response. So we don't have to worry about the device not responding quickly enough once it's in sleep. It's, it doesn't really have a sleep mode. It just responds to the output uh, instantly. It doesn't doesn't take time. It doesn't have to wake up and have a cup of coffee right, <laughs> before it comes operating. It, it just instantly provides the energy. I think about charging my cell phone on my new higher wattage charger. It charges in a quarter of the time it used to take. It seems like these days it's even more important when we're talking about higher wattage chargers to get more efficient, yeah? Oh, yeah. I mean, who doesn't love a V8, right? I mean, an automotive <laughs> analogy, your, your big old V8, tons and tons of power. But if it was idling, it would be using a lot more gasoline than a little four-banger. So it's the same with uh, adapters. You, you use a, a big, powerful adapter that can charge your phone really fast. But when it's idling, it's, mm-hmm. it's going to use a lot more energy unless you, you design it you know, uh, carefully and, and, uh, or you, and use the latest technology. And that is have an algorithm that doesn't switch very often, have a flux link or some kind of fast feedback mechanism that can wake it up quickly, and then you, and use a GAN device as the switch so that you're not penalized for the switching that you do end up having to do. So should designers just be loading up on fancy transistors and those complex algorithms to save the planet? Uh, I would say so, <laughs> but, but I would, right? We, that's what we sell. But uh, I mean, I think it's, you have to make a job-by-job decision. As a design engineer, you're under enormous pressure from multiple directions. You've got guys wanting cost reductions all the time. You've got to meet your specifications and you've got customers with, with, with spec demands. And so what you can afford to do in terms of um, you know, saving energy is, is really often dictated by these external forces. And I, I think it's difficult for somebody who feels somehow you know, responsible, because you know, a power supply can last a long time. It could, could last 25 years like those fridges, right? And somebody mm-hmm. could be using these things in 25 years. And you know, a, a decision you make today can have long-term consequences. So I would say you should use the appropriate technology, but don't ignore the opportunities to do better because you can save so much money in other ways, even if you're paying a little bit more for a switch or you make a choice about a topology, it can save on uh, heat sinks, for example. You may not need a mm. heat sink. You may be able to use a different kind of plastic for the enclosure. You may have lower mounting costs because the transformers can be smaller. There are so many ways to save money in a power supply that perhaps you can, you can exercise your eco-subversive instincts without um, without necessarily costing your company anything. And then there's still the sort of cost to the end customer. And I think that's harder for an engineer to square, right? Because mm. if they've got a, your company has a cost target, you've got to build a power supply to a cost. 
But you know that if you don't make it an efficient power supply, your down the road customer is going to be burning energy that, that's going to far exceed the cost of the power supply. 89% is the DOE requirement for a notebook adapter. You can get to 92% efficiency with just a little bit of thought. So that's 3%. It doesn't sound much, but what it's doing is it's cutting losses by what, 25%, maybe almost 30% less loss. That's a pretty big deal. It's a big deal. And you, and you don't even need to think about how to do that, really. You just got to make a couple of good choices. If you're going above 93%, then there's some, you know, you might want to use a GAN device, and that's going to cost you a little bit of money. But not as much as it did a year ago, right? Uh, no, and, and almost um, just the, the, you know, the way GAN is coming down in price because it's, a, uh, you know, it's now becoming a mature technology, it may not actually cost you anything at the end of the day, especially mm-hmm. if you can uh, re- you know, eliminate uh, heat sinks and make the enclosures smaller and that kind of thing. Uh, to get to 96%, which we, we can do with our um, active clamp devices, you, you need to add the active clamp, and that's, a, that's a, uh, an additional few cents to, for the active clamp. So that's one you'd need to think about. But once again, it saves, uh, you go from 93 94% to to 96, we'll go from 94% to 96%. That's, once again, that's a third of the energy loss is gone. Yeah. And that is a third less heat. So you've got to be able to monetize that in enclosures and heat sinks and, and mounting, mounting hardware. So I, I think it's a, uh, you know, it's a difficult decision for an engineer to make, but I think it's something that's worth paying attention to. It is worth more than a few seconds of thought during the design process to to do what I, I think an increasing number of people believe to be uh, to be right and prudent. Yeah. And environmental concerns aside, we're, we're talking about providing a much better value to the consumer. We're talking about something that's going to pay long-term dividends, especially in a device that's designed to last a long time. And most importantly, with a long-lasting device that consumes a relatively large amount of power. Yeah. Absolutely. You've said this before on this program, death to heat sinks. <laughs> we, we, we've, yeah. we've talked about heat and, and combustion have, have been a recurring topic in our conversations. And now you're demanding that we go out and crush our beer fridges. Can, can we do this without violence, Doug? <laughs> <laughs> We're very friendly. We're very friendly here. We, we don't need the violence. Um, and I'd, I'd le- I guess I'd leave you with this, and that is that I've shown you a path, you personally and everybody listening, a path to uh, to free beer for the rest of your life, right? You, you just got to get rid of your fridge and you get free beer. So I don't think anybody else on your program has offered everybody a free beer, and I'm offering you free beer for the rest of your life here. You just, just get rid of that fridge. <laughs> No, do the math. It's true. <laughs> I think you've you've inspired me to get rid of my garage fridge. The beer that's out there chilling and the kimchi and the other items that the rest of my family doesn't want to eat, that's what's occupying most of the space. And I think I can do without it. So I... I'm going to take it out, and for the next segment of the show, um, I'm going to I'm going to bring the recording crew with me, and we'll see what happens to my garage fridge. So, thank you for the inspiration there. Excellent. Yep. Thank you.
I'd like to thank our audience for tuning in and thank Power Integrations for sponsoring this episode. And most of all, thanks so much to Doug Bailey for joining us today for another incredibly entertaining and informative, and in this case, inspiring conversation. Thank you so much for joining us, Doug. Thank you very much for having me. That brings another episode of the Weekly Briefing to its end. Thank you for listening. And thanks to our guest, Doug Bailey from Power Integrations. As part of EE Times' 50th celebration, we are happy to present the EE Times Education Panel Discussion, How to Expand the Semiconductor Industry Talent Pool. This discussion will explore how today's industry and academia can collaborate to fill the roles needed globally. Find the registration link on today's episode page. The weekly briefing is available through all major podcast platforms. Still, if you get to us at our website at eetimes.com, you'll find a transcript, direct links to other stories we've mentioned, and other resources. The weekly briefing is produced by EE Times. It was engineered by me, Taylor Marvin, at Coop Studios. The segment producer was Lady Maya Kane. For Eric Singer, I'm Taylor Marvin. Thanks for listening. So talking with Doug has made me take a good hard look in the mirror and in my garage. Do I really need to have this old inefficient dinosaur sucking down wattage and encouraging me to suck down more beer than I probably should? The answer was no. So I called my local electric utility and found that not only will they come pick up my fridge and crush it, they'll pay me 50 bucks for the privilege. So, I just need to unload these cans and bottles. Luckily, winter is here and I can relocate these to Mother Nature's fridge out on the back porch. Now, these gentlemen are loading old Beji into the back of a van and off it goes. Next stop is a highly specialized recycling facility. Specialized because they need to not only separate the recyclable materials, but they also need to capture both the refrigerant and the ozone depleting substances in the foam insulation. And this is a really critical step since if you skip it, just one refrigerator not disposed of properly causes the same contribution to the greenhouse effect as a small household's annual electricity requirement or the average car's mileage for an entire year. So, if you too are ready to take Doug's advice and unload your power-hungry beast in the garage, start by contacting your local electric utility to make sure you do it right. <laughs>